good morning. Uh, my name is Joel Bennett, and it's my pleasure to serve on the executive board. Uh, will you pray with me this morning? Dear Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the ways that you've walked with us this week through both joy and suffering, as well as how you've blessed us in ways great and small. Lord, as Kevin teaches us today, I ask that you make his message intimately personal, leading each of us to examine how we're living out our faith each day. Help us to clean out our hearts of all the things that keep us from you and embolden us to refill it daily with you and your word. It's only through this filling of your spirit that we can bear fruit. I ask that we are a people who love our neighbor and our enemy, who share joy to the brokenhearted, who bring peace in the midst of strife, who show patience and kindness for those like us who fall short, that we are known for our goodness and holiness in a culture of good enough who have a faith that never fails in the face of adversity, who are gentle in a world of cruelty and a people with self-control to know when to say enough when the world screams for more. Lord, when we are a people who live in ways that glorify you, we can do great things for the kingdom. I thank you for the way the Church of the Way in Newton, who's planted the New Creation Church to minister to those in addiction recovery, do just that. Just like them, we can minister to your people, both individually and corporately. Lord, you have called us as Christians to sit on the side, not to sit on the sidelines. You have called us as disciples to follow you and to do your will, both pub publicly and privately, in our homes and in our workplaces. What can we give back to God for the blessings he's poured out on us? We'll lift high the cup of salvation, we'll pray in his name, and will complete what we promised God we'd do, doing it together with his people. Lord, let us answer that call. I'd like to ask you to join me in praying the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. If you don't know the words, they'll be provided to you on the screens. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us for our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please be seated. Well, this is the last week that we're going to be sharing together the fruit of the Spirit. And I had a, I've been excited about this. I've been receiving uh, literally hundreds of emails from the church family, uh, processing this, asking questions, digging into scripture, looking at church history. It's been phenomenal. But one of the things that's been coming to me on a regular basis is how do we apply this in daily life? I mean, you know, basically, not quite this bluntly, but you're a preacher and you do preacher things and we live in the real world and it's harder to be this fruit-bearing people in a real world. Yes, maybe, perhaps. One of the questions that then came to me was, is there a place in scripture where we see someone actually living out the fruit of the spirit? Well, I could name many, but I'm gonna choose one. 
Before we look at the one, I just give a, an image, of, an impression I had this morning. So this is the impression. Those at home, uh, on devices, tablets, cars, here in the room. I had this, I don't know what to call it, just a little something, vision, impression. And I, it, was, it was like in Revelation chapters two and three, when Jesus walks through a space and he just touches people. He sees people. And I wonder if today you could open your hearts to that possibility. What if Jesus really is alive? And what if this morning he wants to touch every one of us with something? And fundamentally, I want, so I'm gonna mess up my, my, my metaphors here, but you know when kids do the pixie dust, you know, you throw the pixie dust? What if Jesus throws the pixie dust of his heart into us? And it just rests on us. But if it doesn't just rest on us, what if it moves into us and becomes something that lives out of us? So that's the imagery I have for us today. I'm gonna take you through the story, and the story is one familiar, but I like to take it in some different directions. The story is the Good Samaritan. Perhaps you know it, but before we get to the Good Samaritan story, let me take you a different place. Could you open your Bibles or look up on the screens to Luke chapter nine, 51 through 53. And what I want to do is put this story of the Good Samaritan in two contexts. One is its, its cultural context, and the other is going to be the religious context. So you can't understand the Good Samaritan story unless you get the context right. So a few verses before the Good Samaritan story, we have this. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead of him who went into what kind of a village? What kind? A Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people of that village did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. So what is being communicated? I'll tell you in a second. Next slide, please. So when the disciples, James and John, two of Jesus' best friends, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he went and his disciples went to another village. So what's the context? The context of the Good Samaritan story is racial animosity of incredible intensity. Is ethnic division that is beyond anything that's in this country right now. It is very, very tense for decades. And Jesus' buddies so hate the Samaritans that they piously say, Lord, can we fry those pagans? Can we call down heaven? What's it reference to? That's what Elisha did. So come on, come on, we hate. What did, what did the rabbis teach? The rabbis taught this, God, I thank you. I'm not a Gentile a woman, or a dog. Guess where the Samaritans were? Below that. So now the context is Jesus' buddies who've been with him for three years, who've watched him and heard him for three years are saying what? Let's kill those people. And Jesus rebukes them. Now the word rebuke is very interesting there because a few verses earlier, when there is a demon 
manifesting in a little boy, Jesus rebukes the demon. And this is the word for rebuke. It is to strangle and to kill. What did Jesus say to James and John? Why? So the context is what? People hate each other. So question now. If Jesus is going to talk about living a fruit-bearing life, does it have any application to America today? Let's go on. Let's go on to the next passage. Let's go to the first four verses of the Good Samaritan story. Now, it's interesting here. There are four questions and four answers in these, in these few verses. And it is predicated on the words, do life. Do life. So on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Now, right away, the hearers would go, whoa, 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 what's going on there? Because this is the method of teaching in that day. When a rabbi was going to instruct his students, remember, walk in the steps of your rabbi, the rabbi in times of teaching would sit. And if a student wanted to express anything, the student would humbly, respectfully stand before the rabbi and ask questions. The context here is, the lawyer is doing this. No respect, no honor, and he is here to test Jesus. So, what does he say? Teacher, what must I do, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds with a question. Well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Well, the, teacher, the man says what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and love your neighbors yourself. And Jesus says what? You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Do and live, do and live. What's the next verse say? He wanted to justify himself, and so he asked, who is my neighbor? So what did Jesus just say to him? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbors yourself. And the lawyer does not like the answer. So he wants to justify. Why? No, why? Let me translate for you what Jesus is saying. So you want to have life to this lawyer? You want eternal life? This is what you have to do. Every day, every day for the rest of your life, you have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Oh, and besides that, you have to love your neighbor as yourself every day. What did you just say? Let me translate it. Okay, Mr. Lawyer, I'll give you a 10-foot, a 10-foot fence. And every day, if you jump over that fence, every day of your life, you can inherit eternal life. But he wants to justify himself. So Jesus says, let me tell you story. Next slide, please. So, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, let me stop. Let me tell you about Jewish storytelling. Jewish storytelling always went like this. Character A, character B, character C, and it was always sequential. Whenever Jewish people would tell stories, there would be a sequencing that all the hearers would understand. So, in this story, there should be a priest there should be a Levite, and there should be a layperson. Watch what Jesus does with the story. He said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. 
They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, not a layperson. Remember now, who's, the, who's the, chapter 9, who are the Samaritans? Call down fire and burn them. Kill them. We hate Samaritans. They're the worst. Kill the Samaritans. And Jesus says, but, 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 time out. A Samaritan. So the hearers are just going, whoa, 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 whoa. When he came to where the man was, he saw him and took pity on him. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, the Samaritan took out two denarii, which is two weeks' wages, and gave them to the innkeeper. Looked after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So Jesus said, Mr. Lawyer, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in law replied, he could not say the word Samaritan, the one who had mercy. And Jesus said what? Go and do likewise. Now let me, let me flesh this story out. So if the context is Samaritans and Jews who hate each other, so we have racial, ethnic animosity. We have religious pride. We have religious nationalism. We have bitterness, hatred. All that is in the story. That's the context. Now here's the spiritual context. Let's look at this, the priest. I mean, just, I, I'm going to get real precise to you. This, this blows my mind. So we think, oh, the priest just walked up. Let me tell you about this now. now listen, I'm going to apply this now. I'm going to talk about your job how we relate to people, how we interact with people, about our income, about our security. This is all in the story. Listen to this. The priest, the priest was part of a ruling class. There were less than 10,000 priests in Israel at this time. Many lived in Jericho, which was a beautiful place, and it was 17 miles from Jerusalem. So what you would do, you'd have two-week engagements. You'd leave your home in Jericho, You'd go up this dangerous road to Jerusalem and you'd spend two weeks there. So now the priest is coming home after two weeks. Listen to this. The priests were known to be wealthy. Listen now. Almost every priest had a donkey. So the priest, two weeks away, he's working hard. He's finally done. He's on vacation. He's going home. He's got his own donkey, he's riding his donkey, and he sees this man laying in the, in the road. So everyone listening would say, the priest is rich. What else would they assume? But the priest had a problem because it says the man was naked. So it is assumed he's laying on his stomach. Why do we say that? Because if he was on his back, the priest could see a place where a circumcision occurs. And since he was on his stomach, he did not know. Now there's a problem. 
Because the Jewish law said, if this is one of your kin, one of your people, you are required to care for your people. But he didn't know what race it was, what background, because the people in that day had very specific clothes, accents, and, and people stood apart. So he doesn't know what this person is. Well, it gets even more complicated. What is his duty? Because if he touches this man, he has to go back to Jerusalem. We've been working for two weeks. He wants a vacation. He wants to see his family. If he goes back to Jerusalem and he has to go to the altar, guess what? He's defiled. He can't get paid. How do you get paid? At the altar, the priest took part of the offering that people brought, brought it home, plus received the tithes and brought it home. He can't get paid. He can't pay his family. He can't feed his family. And he can't care for the poor. But it gets even more complicated. Because if he finds out that he has actually, as a priest, been defiled and goes back to the altar, listen now, the layman around the temple would take him out and kill him. So let's stop. People say to me, the fruit of the Spirit stuff doesn't apply in real life. Well, here's the guy who's been working his butt off for two weeks. He wants to go home, go on vacation. He wants to get paid. He wants to see his family. He wants to relax. And something inconvenient shows up. And he might be criticized by others. And he might lose his life. So what does he do? He passes by on the other side. That makes sense, doesn't it? You can see, you can see where this comes from. Well, then the Levite comes. Now, Jewish storytelling always followed sequentially. So the priest, now we have the Levite. The Levite does what? The Levite works with the priest. Which priest do you think he worked with? The one who just passed by. Oh, wait, my boss, my boss, I gotta please my boss. What if I do something my boss doesn't do? Something my boss doesn't like? What if I bring this dead guy or this dying guy on my donkey, because he's got donkey too. Levites had donkeys too. What if I bring him back to Jericho and all the other priests see the, die, the near dead guy that the other priest passed by? What's gonna happen to the priest and what's gonna happen to me because I'm figuring my priest the bad? So now he's got his reputation on the line. And he's got his boss's reputation. And he's got his relationship with his boss. And he's going to keep his job. And so what does he do? He walks on the other side. <laughs> Makes sense, doesn't it? And then the story takes this crazy twist. Here is this stinking Samaritan who we hate. We absolutely hate. We want fire to come down and kill him. And the Samaritan goes to the man and does what? He takes all the resources he has, everything, and he cares for this man who probably hates him. He puts the Samaritan on his donkey, but the story gets even crazier. So let me give you, I, I didn't know how to describe the story in non-offensive ways with what I'm going to share next. So I went back to the Bedouin commentaries from the Middle East and then the exposition in the last century from the Bedouin commentaries. So this is the story that the commentators take from the Bedouin commentaries. Imagine it's a hundred and some years ago in America. An American Indian, Native American Indian, comes into town on a horse with a pale face, man, my skin color, naked with arrows in his back. What would the village say, what would the town say to a Native American Indian who's bringing a dying 
pale face into their town. Now it gets crazier because if you bring someone to an inn, you're required to pay all the expenses up front. So he leaves two denarii, two weeks' wages. Because if he didn't, the innkeeper could just throw him out. Can you imagine what the people are saying? What's running through their heads? Oh, man. Now, let me stop a second. What are all the factors in this story? We have, we have great hurt in a workplace. Am I going to show up my boss? Is my boss going to fire me? Am I going to get paid? Am I going to lose my job? We have racial tensions. We have ethnic diversity stuff going on. We have all this as part of the picture. And Jesus then says to the neighbor, to the lawyer, remember how it starts, what must I do to live? Jesus said, what? Be like the Samaritan. But he wanted to justify himself. Meaning what? I want to do whatever I can do to make my life good and to gain eternal life. And Jesus said, you can't do it. But let me give you an example of what it looks like. So Jesus, the good, almost all scholars say the good Samaritan is Jesus. So let me walk you through the themes about Jesus. Susan, can I have uh, number 14? Scholars believe Jesus was presenting himself as the good Samaritan. So what does this story teach us about a good fruit-bearing life if we are to imitate Jesus. Here are some things I observed. We can long for, we can accept, and we can live in the gift of eternal life. Life in Christ begins eternal life. So let me, let me give you specifically how I apply this. The word for that life is zoe, Z-O-E. So this is what I pray for Lane and for me every day. So I'm just giving you an example. I'm trying to take, I'm trying to apply this fruit of the Spirit stuff real specifically today. So I pray that we and she and I will experience Zoe, which is the eternal life of Jesus. This is the phrase I use every day. From the tops of our heads to the bottoms of our feet. Every cell, every organ, every blood vessel, every, every part of our being, we experience Zoe eternal life. The story fundamentally is about Jesus offering eternal life. He says, the lawyer, what must I do to receive eternal life? What did Jesus say? You can't earn it. You can't jump over the fence. How about this one? Become a surprisingly good neighbor. This story, I can't, I cannot, I, I don't know how to communicate how stunning this story would have been to Jewish people. There have been things that I or other teachers have spoken in this church, in this room, in this last season, and people have walked out in anger. Disagreement, and that's fine. Welcome to do that. What Jesus said was so offensive, he could have offended the whole nation of Israel. And Jesus said, we can become good neighbors. And he gave an example. Well, how does this fruit of the Spirit apply to my daily... We can become good neighbors. The next one, slide please. Recognize that, the lo that love, to will the good of another, agapao, is more important than any law of culture. 
God is love. God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. So love wins. Eventually, love will win. In the sense, from the story, how do we apply fruit of the Spirit daily? We resist racism. Let, 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 the story has it both ways. We have the Samaritans saying no to Jesus, no to the Jews, no, and there was animosity in that, and you have the Jews saying, send down fire. So this is my opinion. Racism works every way, both ways, up and down and sideways. Is that fair? It's not just he or she is, no. We all are invited to become more like Jesus. The next slide, please. Be regularly amazed at Christ's costly and sacrificial love for people. Now, I want you to go back to the story. The Samaritan literally gave everything he had for a man he did not know. It's Jesus. He gave everything he had for these neighbors. Sacrificial. And we are invited to be like Jesus. So this is my question to me. Kevin, will I imitate Jesus as we move into the season of Lent? by carrying a cross instead of wearing one. It's pretty easy to say, I love Jesus, yes I do. I love Jesus, how about you? And then there sits someone at my workplace who's dying. And for whatever reason, students or someone in your high school, one of your classes, one of your teams, who's dying. Or will we be like Jesus? See, this is, where, this is where this abiding in Christ is such a big deal. So we don't choose to love, we just love. We don't choose to be patient, we are patient because his life is being lived in us and through us. Well, we want to invite you into this new season of Lent. And I wonder if Pastor Allie could talk about what is coming and offer an invitation to you. Let Allie... Well, as a church family, we get to practice Lent together. And I love that it's a together piece. It's not our individual journey. It has a lot to do with what the Lord's doing in us as an individual, but it's a corporate piece that all of us are walking this road that can be hard. And I love what Pastor Kevin just said, because sometimes in the distractions of life, we don't realize how we've gotten off course how we've taken one too many steps to the side instead of walking straight to the person that's lying. And so Lent's our opportunity to allow the Lord to come and search us. Lent's our opportunity to invite God in and say, I may have gotten it wrong this last year, but I need you, Lord Jesus, to show me where I'm off. And so Lent always starts with an invitation called Ash Wednesday. And the Old Testament is full of people that put ashes on themselves as a sign of sorrow and repentance, as a sign of grief for sins and grief for death. Well, the ashes represent that we were made from dust. In Genesis 2, you have God that comes, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and creates with their hands male 
and then female, and then breathes with his breath life. Well, then the very next chapter, Genesis 3, after the fall, God looks at man and female and says, you were made from dust, and you will be returning to dust. And that's what Ash Wednesday is for us to remember. That yes, we were made from dust and it's beautiful, but yes, we will be returning to dust. But there is a greater hope than that, and it's because of that cross. And so Ash Wednesday begins our journey where we get to consecrate ourselves by putting ashes on our forehead and say, okay, Lord, you and me. Okay, Lord, you, me, and everyone, we're doing this together. And I'm going to put this symbol on my head and say, I am here because I feel sorrow for what I may not even know I've done, but I know I'm off. And so we get to invite the Lord in and journey together in the path to Easter. Because I don't know about you, but Easter's fun. Easter's so great because we get to celebrate that Jesus died, but he rose, and we are okay because of that, that we have eternal life forever because of that. But he did it because of my sin. And he did it because of your sin. And so will you join us or consider joining us this Lent season? Wednesday is from 6.30 to 7.15. You can meet us here in person. There's a few more spots available. You can see it online. If not, we will also be live streaming. Now, here's the thing. There are these bags out there. If you are planning on live streaming the service, each bag has, this can be tricky, so one second. Each bag has a liturgy and your own ashes. Yay! So you'll each... Each bag has this. It looks like you're probably like, there's no ashes in there, Allie. There are ashes in here. And we try putting them on ourselves. You can get at least six people. But if you feel like there's no way that she's telling the truth, there's extra ashes. Or if you want to put ashes on yourself more than just once, you, please grab extra ashes. But these are at over in the main entrance and over by the auditorium entrance. And the last thing we want to tell you about is the Seek God for the City books. These will also start as a prayer guide for us on Ash Wednesday, and they'll lead us through Lent. We have these in English and Spanish, and we would love for you to take these and join us in praying powerful prayers together for our nation and our world. Can I bless us as we head into worship? So Father, we thank you for the invitations you have for each one of us. Father, we thank you that our individual invitations actually mean that there's a greater corporate invitation happening. And so God, as we reflect on who you are and who we are because of you, will we quickly run to the cross? In Jesus' name, amen.